Thank you, Mia. I still got to make my cookies this afternoon, but I have the ingredients. So, guys, make cookies. And you should go help hand out cookies. Uh, it, it is a good time. Also, we, we mentioned uh, one birthday that was yesterday, but there's another birthday today that's a really big one. You want to stand or you just want to sit there? There you go. <laughs> Phineas Mullins is 16 today, folks. So I thought for sure Grant would say something during the giving, but uh, we needed to say happy birthday to Finn Man. Uh, so anyway, wanted to mention that. Notice that we didn't read a text like we normally would. At this time, there would be a text that was oftentimes read, and that didn't happen. And that is uh, a little bit by design. Some Sundays in this series, there will be a text read. This Sunday, there was not. And so I just want to take a moment to kind of explain some of this as we go into this next series and we kind of start something uh, different. This series does have a different approach than what is normative for Mosaic. And this is how it would normally work for us. It's typically speaking what you would be able to call most of our series is an exegetical series. And look, I'm back at Samford teaching, and so I'm, I'm trying to learn to use PowerPoint. <laughs> Shout out to Anna. Uh, anyway, so exegetical. And I think that this is part of it. So this idea behind this series is uh, that Kyle and I, our approach to it, was just this idea upon, like, what are words that, like, you would sort of describe mosaic with? And, of course, if you know Kyle and I, we had the worst time trying to narrow it down to five. And so uh, some of these aren't even words. They're phrases that we are uh, going to work with. But then we kind of just put some other words out there that we're like, okay, what are things that you would use to describe mosaic and to help us kind of understand? And I think this would maybe be one of them. I heard Kyle describe it one time. Uh, somebody was like, What's, what, what would you expect out of mosaic? And he was like, Oh, we're going to do like a lot of more like charismatic leaning worship songs and you're going to kind of get Baptist preaching with like high church liturgy thrown in and then like this weird middle break that nobody does that's like very communally driven. It's a, it's a hodgepodge of things and I'm like, yeah, that, that works. But this is like this preaching element of it uh, is a big part of it. It's a big part of who we are as a community. And so I think this fits in the grand scheme. And so normally what we would do for a series is this. It would be exegesis or exegetical. And this is a way of just like talking about something and thinking about something, the, the scriptures, the text. And you can exegete other texts. They'll use that phrase uh, if you're in a literature class, especially the further into the academy you get. They'll talk about this idea. But biblical exegesis is, is something that's slightly different. Uh, and so it's, it's this way of approaching a passage in scripture where you go to it and, and you sort of let it like just speak to you on its own ground. And you try to figure out the meaning and the purpose. And the Greek word is to lead out. So imagine it's kind of like you go and, and you let it lead you to where the conclusion is. And a lot of our series are like that. Our Exodus series that we just did all summer is this kind of series. Another way of talking about it would be expository sermons. Happens. Like in this moment, if the series is kind of exegetical, we're studying, we're, we're thinking through it, we're having this moment, and then like what we kind of do up here is called expositional preaching, would be the like kind of churchy academic language to put to it. And this is just a way of us of kind of like allowing the text to speak on its own, allowing it to come up into what is like supposed to be said out of the text itself. You use the Bible to understand the Bible would be another way of thinking about it. And we oftentimes preach like this. 
We do this in a way where what we hope is that as a community and as a people, that we would submit ourselves to this thing called the Bible. Like this is kind of our, like what we, you know, this is it. This is one of the things that we hold to. And it's actually one of our five, remember when I said we used phrases and not words? Uh, we could have just like called it the Bible or something, but a people of the book is one of our Sundays. And this idea that this thing guides us, it shapes us, it gives us bounds in some ways, guardrails, if you will, uh, this, however you want to talk about it. But we, we believe that this matters, that the Lord speaks to us. And, and historically, the church has identified with this and said, you know what? Like we're going we're gonna to put ourselves under this. So the opposite of exegesis or exposition would be eisegesis. So exegesis is this thing where you come to the text and you let the meaning from the text come out of it. Eisegesis is when you bring a meaning or an idea to the text and then you sort of shape scripture around it. These are big words. Maybe you've heard them or maybe you haven't. And I don't really care if you like, remember them or not. This is not a preaching class although I would love to teach one of those if any of you are interested, uh, and we'll talk about it all, and it would be a great time. But what I want us to get in more practical terms is I think in this moment and as a community and as a church, what we're tasked with is to allow ourselves to come to Scripture, to come to the Lord, to come to these moments of worship, and to let our way of thinking, operating, and functioning be shaped and formed by Christ by the scriptures, by the, the history of the church, the way believers have sought out and set out to follow and allow themselves to be discipled, formed, shaped. And these are all big words that we've been, they're not big words, but these are all the words we've been talking about that we would want Mosaic to be described as. Oftentimes, though, what we do, what I do, what, I'm, what we're tempted to do, whether it's when we read scripture or we're talking about theology, we are oftentimes more prone to taking what we want the text to say, what we want theology to be, what we think Jesus should be, and we bring that and we let it shape like our reading and our understanding instead of letting the reverse happen. And this is the idea, you guys should probably be sick of it by now, that all through Exodus last week, like I'm, I'm just, I, I keep harping on this and coming back to it, because it is, it's the idea that we want to take and define for us what is good and right instead of letting Scripture, letting the Lord, letting the Spirit define in us what is good and right. And so that's how we normally we go through these things, we do this this way. The other way that we sometimes preach sermons in the way we follow along is we would do something that's more of a topical series. Now, most of the time when we do a topical series, what we would do is we would pick a topic, idea. We did one on the prophetic a few years ago, and, and what we did is we, we wanted to trace this theme, but each sermon still kind of followed this expositionary. We, we took a text, we unfolded it. I say all that to say that if you're visiting, if you're new, that is the normal way of doing things. For the next five weeks, this is going to be a lot different. Uh, and that, like, there's not going to be a driving text, but there's going to be a driving idea. And we will try our best to not just proof text, which is another way of saying where you take an idea or a topic, and then you just throw some verses out to say, like, see, I'm right. And when you start proof texting things, you can, you can make the Bible say about anything you want it to say. Um, and even when you do good exegesis, here's the other thing I will say, and this leads us right into our topic for today. That there are ways in which two people that are well-trained, that are smart, that are academic, 
Me and Kyle can do this. We can both read a text. It's not all the time. It's not like in huge things. But there are things where there are like kind of heavy that Kyle and I can read text and we can arrive to different conclusions. And in no way, shape, or form should I believe diminish his side of the argument by saying like, well, you just did bad exegesis. That's not true. He did great exegesis. And I did great exegesis and frustrate some of you to go like, well, what do you mean like there, that you could both be right, do it the right way, be honest, be sincere, allowing the Spirit to speak and arrive to different conclusions? I don't know what to do with that, but that's the way it happens. There are that taught us in seminary that are way smarter, that have proven over their life that they love Jesus, like they're good people. And they would like, you would literally have a class and one professor would say one thing and then you would go to the next class and the other professor would say something else. And there's something to that. There's a mystery to the faith. There's a wonder to the faith. There's, there's an ability to hold things open-handedly. And so, as we move into this series, the best way to think of this is maybe like a vision series. Uh, we've called these things, as Kyle mentioned uh, before, like some different, like, like we've referenced them as different things that people called mosaic, uh, becoming who we are. If I were to name this one, this is really lame, but if it's football season, like the title I keep coming is like, We Are Mosaic, but then naturally I hear the We Are Farmers jingle in the back of my head. <laughs> we are farmers, bum, 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 bum. And now the rest of you will hear it the rest of, your, like, the, rest of the day. But like, I think that this is, like, that's what I wanted to say. Like, like, this is like, we're mosaic. Like, this is who we are. And so it's these words, it's these ideas. And we wanted to start with what is a Latin term that we're borrowing largely from the Anglican church which is via media, which means the middle way, so, or the way between two extremes. And this, I think, not only is it a helpful way of like, understanding who we are as Mosaic, who Kyle and I are as people and preachers and lead pastors, but I think it is also just a helpful approach to life and to understanding what, what is needed in this cultural moment. Beyond that, just in this, if you want to think of like the structure of this series and what's happening, it's a really helpful way, I think, to, as we unpack some of what is to come, to hear what we're saying as like the, we're trying to accomplish this as a, as a people. Like this is something that's vitally important to us. The other phrase that you could have titled this sermon, does anybody want to try to guess what I would have called it? Both and. Uh, and that is something that we want to clarify. We say that phrase a lot. I say that all the time. Kyle says it a lot too. And this idea that like, there can be a both and is something that may feel frustrating to some of us or maybe feel vague at times. And we just realized, like, as Kyle and I were talking, it's just like, I think we should expound on this. I think we should sort of say what it is that we mean when we say these kinds of things and, like, the, and help people understand that like, this is like not just something about our personality, but it is something about our conviction. It is something about what we think that the church needs in this cultural moment or like what the, what the people around us need in this cultural moment. But it is also something that like, we just think that the Lord has called Mosaic to be. This way between extremes. So, as I said, the Anglicans try to claim it, and it is one of their like core tenets, if you read about Anglicanism, and it is where I was introduced to the, the Latin phrase specifically was through Anglicanism, and some of the Anglicans that I follow, denomination, if you're not familiar with that, we can talk about it later, uh, it's not that important. 
Though they claim it, the phrase first shows up, and this is a shout out to the Sanford class that I am teaching, in Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. I probably didn't say that word right, but who cares? Uh, I'm the one teaching the course. <laughs> and so it, it's this first idea, and important to Aristotle is this idea that you would be like find life in a moderate way, that you would, you would approach life in moderation. This is important to him in philosophical ideas. It's important to him in the way you would eat and celebrate. But it's not unique to Aristotle. What's interesting is that there are several religions and thoughts that are happening around the same time. Uh, Buddhism, in weird ways, and, and Gandhi, like the, when they're first starting to like get the things into writing and they're talking about it. This middle ground, like you can't be too aesthetic, but you also can't be like, there's this thing. And so there's something about the truth deep in human nature that I think you have to grab a hold of. That this isn't like a uniquely Christian idea in and of itself. But it is something that is called to like humanity does better when we don't operate in the extremes. Now, I've also heard it said that everything in moderation, including moderation. And, you know, I kind of like that idea that sometimes you got you to go all in, you know, like you got to you can't always just be on the fringes and on the margins. But Aristotle is going to use this idea and then the Anglicans are going to come along and they're going to take it and they're going to adapt it. And they're going to say, no, we like that, and we want to talk about it as well. So for Aristotle, it is this thing that is like that he would call the golden mean. And other Greek philosophers are going to pick it up, and the Anglicans are going to use that same idea. And it's this like kind of perfect middle ground. It's this perfect balance where you are able to operate and understand and function without getting too far out into the fringes. Now, the Anglicans, though, the reason it becomes so important, and this is the tie, I think, to this idea being uh, what we would find in our cultural moment today. They still claim, come up with this idea in their theology because the Anglican church is formed and shaped in the midst of the Protestant Reformation. And what is happening in England, brief history, the Protestant Reformation takes off out of Germany. It's gets spread to England pretty quickly, but there's some Christians up in England that have been around for a while that aren't as Catholic, and there starts to be this faction really quickly that starts to happen where you have the Catholic Church and everybody that wants to hold to it, and it's kind of extreme versions, and as they start to see the Protestant Church split away, they're like doubling down on the things that make them Catholic, and there's a lot of not just like now we just uh, turn to people on Twitter and we cancel people on Twitter or whatever. Farewell, Rob Bell. That was an old reference. But like, there's this thing where we, we, we just like, oh, like we, we make these claims. Uh, Drake has a line that says, trigger fingers turn to Twitter fingers. Like That's happened in the church. Uh, because what actually was going on back then was like they didn't tweet at each other. They burned each other at the stake when they disagreed. And so, like, it's a, it's a darker time. Like, it's not a great time in church history. It's something we name and acknowledge. It was tied up into the empires and, and kings and queens and how it was spreading throughout Europe and all this. And it's something we have to wrestle with and reckon with. That, like, this wasn't a great time for the church. And it was, it's kind of a, an example of what happens when power in the church gets so intertwined. And it's something that we should, like, learn from and take stock of. But they would, I mean, they were fearful of this.
this. Kingdoms would flip and overturn. And it was extreme, and people were literally dying because of it. And this movement out of England forms. And what they say is we're going to find a middle ground that kind of helps people come together. That Like in this moment where people are so frustrated with one another, so hell-bent on destroying one another because of their beliefs and what they think has to be the right way, the only way, this movement forms and says, no, there's going to be a middle ground where these two things can coexist and these ideas can come together and we don't have to kill each other over ideologies and preferences. Does this sound familiar? I think culturally in this moment, we're in a deep need to find a middle way to find a way where we can coexist with one another, where we can be able to, to understand that just because someone sees something differently than you, that does not them a villain make. They're not a terrible human being just because they don't arrive to the exact same conclusion as you. They can still be wrong. And so that's part of what I want to talk about this. Is that oftentimes, I think that what we think of when we think of the middle way, it can be misunderstood and oftentimes as we talk about it, and, and you maybe hear Kyle and I talk about the both and a lot, you may find yourself wondering, well, do these guys really believe anything? Do they have any conviction? Are they just spineless, kind of trying to make everybody happy? And if I'm willing to admit it in my most weakest parts, my personality is prone to that because I want everybody to like me. And so it is easy for me to find a middle way. I'll be honest. That, that, that is, a, is something we should acknowledge, right? Like, liked, you don't want to Kyle will joke with you and say he is like the least conflict-oriented person on the planet. Like he's just, he wants everybody to be happy. And so like we're naturally kind of wired, I think, to lead a movement like this in some sense. But it goes beyond that. Because a true middle way, what the Anglicans were after, what Aristotle was after, is not a wishy-washy, like just some sort of compromised middle ground. You hold conviction in the middle ground. You hold like this idea that you, you, there is right and wrong still. There's still absolute truth in the middle ground in this other way. Because oftentimes what gets pitted against each other is you see like, oh, well, the, a lot of people are clamoring for in our society. And I think at Mosaic, this would be true of a lot of you in this room as I've had conversations with you and talked to you and I know your stories. You come frustrated. You come tired. You come burnt out. You come hurt with real pain and suffering that has been inflicted upon you by people that maybe were well-meaning, but honestly probably weren't all that well-meaning, even though they were good people. They wanted to control. They wanted to guide. They wanted to force something on you. And there was a certain religion that we were handed, a certain form of Christianity that forced us into extremes. And we were hurt by that. And we had questions that people were unwilling to answer. And then what is offered on the extreme is something that we can just sort of sense and understand that like we know that's not the answer. But it's like oftentimes many of us find ourselves going like, but it's better than this thing that I've like escaped and I won't go back to it. And so we go to this other extreme and sometimes we do it more intentionally and we reject and we rebel against and we go, well, no, I have to go to the extreme because I don't want to be associated with that at all. And so there's this thing that happens, and we find ourselves like starting to be like, no, I don't want that, I don't want this, like, and, and we go out there because of this hurt, this pain, this suffering in the church that's happened. And you can come to a space like Mosaic, and you can kind of go like, isn't there just another way? Isn't there, isn't there a third option between maybe agnosticism and fundamentalism and all of this? 
And I want to say that there is a middle ground. There, there is a third way in one sense of how you follow Jesus. But what I want to be painstakingly clear upon is that we at Mosaic do not think there is any other way besides Jesus. That as you talk about a middle ground, as you talk about a third way, as you talk about being open and understanding, that does not mean that you do not let go of or release the deep conviction that Jesus Christ is the only possible answer to a wanting and waiting world. We will not pull back from that. And so if you think about John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We announce it in our creeds every Sunday. We are going to be unashamedly on the team of Jesus and in the way of Jesus. And so I think that it is easy for us in these moments to think of this middle ground, to think of what Aristotle's getting at, the Anglicans, and to understand that we need this, and to, and to be like, oh, this is a really good growth strategy. We can kind of get everybody involved. This is a really good way to get like, more people around. Some people over here, that, like, they might disagree with us. And as long as we don't talk about what they disagree with us on, then we're all good. And they'll stick around and they'll be close. And isn't that better than them being out there Like as long as they're in here? All of this. You may be familiar with this type of language. You may not. Here's what I want to say when we talk about being a middle way as well. That we want to be a group of people in this space that are willing to look at one another and to have the hard conversations. It is not that you pull back from conflict, but it's that you actually, to do the middle way correctly and to do it well, you have to actually embrace conflict. You have to embrace the, the ability to maybe call someone to the mat, if you will. You have to embrace the, the possibility that you will be called to the mat, that someone will challenge what you're thinking, that someone will look at you and say, you know, I don't know if that's right. I don't, I don't know if that's the way that we should be handling that situation. I don't know if maybe you should have said that. Like, maybe that was a little racist and you just didn't realize it. I know you, like, probably didn't mean to say it that way. And I am thankful that there are many of you in this room that have made those remarks to me in conversation that have said, you know, like, I, I get what you're saying, but did you ever think about it this way? And normally, if you know my wife well, it takes me 48 hours to see it that way, but then I will, and then it'll be my own idea, and I'll come back to you and be like, yeah, <laughs> did you guys know that there's this really great, you know, whatever, and, and my wife's gracious enough to just nod and look at me and go, yeah, that's so good, I'm so glad you told me that. It's normally on something minor, like how to clean the house, where we will, like something around the house that we do well, but you know, whatever. I've noticed Jameson does this now, you'll like correct him, and you'll be like, hey buddy, you should share, and he'll be like, no. And like 10 seconds later, he'll be like, Judah, I have an idea. Why don't you have this one and I'll have this one and we can do it together? And I'm like, you just needed it to be your own idea. I can re relate, my man. <laughs> and so we should do this with one another. We should give space. We should allow one another to maybe explore and to examine and to look at and to say, like, I could be wrong. And when someone disagrees with you, instead of looking at them, the middle way is a way of compassion. It's a way of grace but it is not a way of a lack of conviction. It is a way of compassion and a way of passion. Like what I urge you to is to hold on to your beliefs and, and be convicted by them, be moved by them, be passionate about them. We live in a generation and a culture of wallflowers. I've went on this rant before and I've stood on this soapbox where we, we celebrate stoicism and like, oh, it's like, you know, you're just always kind of cool. Act like you've been there before. 
said this when Georgia won the national championship because they're better than Alabama right now. And so I said it. I said, I'm not going to act like they've been there before. They hadn't in my lifetime. And I'm a new Georgia fan, so it was fun. Like, have fun. Like, give yourself over to, to being passionate about things. That's okay. And we should not be any, like, like, if there's anything else in life that we should be passionate about, it should be the gospel. It should be the things that we believe actually make our life different that change it, that, that, that allow us to step into this thing. And so I'm not saying, like, don't lack compassion or conviction. I'm saying have both and have them at a deep, deep level, but have grace. Have understanding for one another. Have the ability to open your, your mind and your ears and your heart to someone else's story, to someone else's narrative. To understand that your experience maybe wasn't everyone else's experience. To understand that for the majority of us in this room that our experience is the majority culture experience. And that our experience is the one that wrote the history books. And that maybe the people that didn't get to write the history books or have the platforms have something to tell you and that you have something to learn from it. And to hear from it. But that doesn't mean that like everything about your upbringing needs to just be thrown out and that you're a terrible person and all this. No, like both can exist. There's this way in which we can pursue the Lord in honesty and earnestness. And that's the kind of community we want to be. So Aristotle, in the middle way, I'm going to make a jump here and I hope you guys can come with me. So hold on. He talks about wonder, or he talks about the middle ground, the middle way, as a place of understanding. He talks about it as a place of moderation. He talks about it as a place of knowledge and learning. And at the core of Aristotle's driving force of this is that he wants to say that the middle way is a place of wonder and joy. And how might that be true? What he is going to say is that there is this thing that happens where we are beginning to hold on to this, where we're going to like find this thing. And what, what he says is that as you stay in the middle way, that what you're able to do is that you're able to avoid the extremes between foolhardiness and cowardness. That you find this balance. That He's going to talk about the, the virtue of courage and of justice. That the middle way is one of courage. It's the one of, of high virtue. And I think that's true of us in Christianity today. I think that's true. That like this, The middle ground is one where you can pursue something that is good and right. But here's the reality of that. As, as you do that, as Christians, that in that, to be able to do that well, is you have to have an open-mindedness. It's not the open-mindedness, again, that thinks that everything is right and that all paths lead to the divinity. Like, we're not saying that. What I'm saying is, along with Jesus, that any that would seek truth will find it. And that we don't resolve the hand-wringing into, like, being overly worried and that we don't go, oh my gosh, like, how could this possibly be? Oh no, they're gonna, their faith is going to fall apart. No. We read texts like Aristotle and uh, Buddhism, and we read uh, atheists and agnostics, 
and we see that in that, that, there, that the world has so much to offer and that there's so much to learn and there's so much to grow, we find someone that has a different story and an experience than us. We keep this ability to meet people and to find like joy and delight and hope in the stories of other people and the experiences of other people. And we begin to interact with one another in such a way that what is like driving us is a pursuit of not knowledge for being right so that we can kind of have this tight black and white, this is the way everything is supposed to be and this is the way that the world makes sense, but we have a knowledge and a desire to experience all that God would have for us, and we understand that that is an infinite exploration. It is a journey that will never end. We understand that what is happening to us in these moments is to know that God is always going to continue to reveal himself to us again and again. And so we learn and we experience, and at the base of that is this wonder about the world and this awe. And I think if we talked about Christianity more in the terms of joy and delight and wonder and awe, it would be a much more uh, inviting invitation, right? Than what a lot of us have experienced on the left and the right. Because here's the thing, like, it's this horseshoe thing that happens. And it's just different language. It's a different way of approaching my joke is, is like you can take the kid out of fundamentalism, but you can't take the fundamentalism out of the kid on Twitter. Like, it's just, it's still like this is right, this is wrong. Like, it's very black and white. If you do this, you're out. If you do this, and there's no like eyes open, just I want to experience the deep and abundant life that is promised to me in the Gospels. It is a I will figure it all out. I will find this rigid way. This is what is right. Everyone else is wrong. There's no humility, it's full of hubris. I'm prone to all of this, which is why I preach these sermons, because I need to hear this. I want to like, make like, sense of everything. I, I want to be right. I want what I say. I, I get worked up and anxious when I'm in a room and I start talking and someone disagrees with me because I'm like, well, no, I, I should, like, what I say it should be like the Pope. Like, it should just be, like, that's my, like, I should just be taken. Like, I, that's why I get so mad at my children, because I'm like, don't you understand who I am? I'm your father. Do what I say. And like they want to test, and they should test, and it's good for me. It's teaching me how to be humble. It's teaching me how to be gracious. It's teaching me how to be kind, patient, slow to anger, merciful, abounding in steadfast love. To them, and to my wife, and to my friends, and to people when I start to get insecure because I'm like, why don't you take everything I say to be like whatever it is, right? And we're called to live in this way of being like willing to learn and to submit to our, like one another and to ourselves and to God and to say, there is something for me to learn. Every corner I go around, every moment I experience, nothing in the economy of the gospel is wasted. Everything is a moment for me to have a deeper, fuller, truer understanding of who God is. And the only thing I can control in all of that is myself. And so I'm just going to like identify and work on and be able to continue to like see the ways in which God is calling me to uh, further up and further in to quote Lewis. I'm about to quote Lewis a whole bunch, so hold on for the second time. Because in this wonder, in this desire, if that is true, and I think it is, if there's this way, this inviting, and you know people like this. You know people that live life in this joyous, kind of profound way. It's not shallow. They're able to see. They're able to move with you. But they do live lives of conviction. They're not people that are just like, oh, whatever. It's all good. No, they like, they, 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 oh, it's fun to be around people that are passionate about things. 
If you are truly passionate about what you do, like I love to listen to you talk about it, even if it's something I would never do. It's just captivating to me. When, and you guys know what I'm talking about. When somebody's like really genuinely passionate and knowledgeable about what they do, Andrew's offered to tell me all about Dragon Ball Z when he and I had this conversation. He's like, I'm passionate about that. Y'all do it. I'm like, let's do it, Andrew. Like, I want to hear it. So I want to hear what, why, you, why you love it, why you tick, like what it is. And it's inviting. And when we live our lives to be shaped and formed by the, the truth, when we're being formed and shaped into the life of the one that is at the beginning of all mystery, that began creation, that all things were created in and through, that allows us to live and to breathe and have our being. When we do that, like what an amazing thing to invite people into and to see working and moving in each other and around us. And it sparks something in us and it excites us in a certain way. And there's this thing that happens, and this is where I'm going to get back into Lewis, is there's this thing that happens that he calls joy. What Lewis will say about joy is you know you're experiencing joy and not happiness when, and this, I'm paraphrasing here, when you experience this type of delight or this like thing that sparks in you, but it's always got a tinge or a pang of like, oh, to it. And here's why. Because each of us, deep in our souls, there is a longing that on this side of eternity will never be filled. There's this thing that drives us, that moves us, that this is what pushes us to wonder. This is what pushes us to humility. This is what pushes us to live a life of looking around and just taking a deep breath and saying like, man, the Lord is good. Yeah, it hurts sometimes, it's painful, it's difficult, but man, the Lord is good. And we're able to find in this a middle ground in a way. The German word that Lewis derives much of this from is this, it's called Sinschut, Sinschut, who are my German philosophers or, or people here? There it is, Sinschut, Sinschut, yep, Sanschut, there we go, somebody corrected me, I knew they would, uh, if I just looked long enough, but here we go, so this is this idea, there's no English translation for it, and it's so much of behind, if you've read Narnia, if you've read a Space Trilogy, or any of his philosophical works, like this idea of longing and desire is what leads Lewis to become a Christian. And in it, what he is going to say is that there's this thing that can never actually be fulfilled here on earth. There's this thing that moves us in such a way that like we, we experience something, and, but it points us to something else. It points us to more. And, but what happens is, and what Lewis is going to say, and I'll read this quote later in a minute, but what so often happens, and where this connects back to the middle ground, is that we experience something that gives us that joy, and we make it the definitive thing. We experience something that helps us make sense of the world, and we begin to like build our whole world around that. Instead of remembering, as the Hebrews would, uh, the author of Hebrews would have us to remember in chapter eleven, verse thirteen. Is it, the author of Hebrews is going through this idea that it's the people by faith, by faith, by faith. These people, these are the ones that they live their lives. And it goes through the, some people call this passage the hall of faith. And it's all these people throughout the Old Testament. It says that all these people were still living when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. 
People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they longed for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. This idea that Lewis is getting at, this yearning, this craving that can't be fulfilled. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying is deep and pregnant inside of every believer. That you are captivated by and that you are aware of the fact that the things around you here, though they point to it, though they give you taste, that they give you understanding, that they are never the complete form. That they are never the final destination. That it is always Jesus. And all of these things and all that we do, it, it calls us up and in and it points us to him. And allows us to like get a better understanding and a better experience and allows us to be shaped and formed. I think of the practices here. I love the practices of spiritual discipline and we'll talk about those this series as well. But the disciplines themselves are never actually supposed to be the thing itself. But they are always to shape us and form us and allow us to experience what we're trying to get at, which is the life of Jesus. Sabbath is an amazing thing. I love it. It's been one of the most foundational and fundamental things in my life in the last five years. It has reshaped our marriage. It has changed the way I think about parenting. I forget it a lot. But the temptation for me would be to become legalistic about Sabbath. Hey, well, you have to do it this way, and everybody's supposed to do it. And if you don't do it, you're wrong. Da 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 da. But it's not about Sabbath. It's about understanding and realizing the peace of the Lord that He has to offer us. If I make it about Sabbath, now here's my argument is I think that we need it because we're on this side of eternity and it's one of the best ways and so why not just do it anyways. But it's not the thing itself. Sabbath practice is a way of helping us imagine and understand and see to look through that window that I talked about into a reality that exists that is more true and more real than the reality that we experience here now. It's a foresight, it's a foretaste. To know and experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it should spark something in us, a desire, a longing for that thing. And it should be moving us towards that. And as that sparks and as that wakens, you see truth and you see realization in this and in that. And this joy happens and this longing happens and this, like, this passion happens. And I think as that does that, we're called to not fall in love with those things but to fall in love with the source of that joy as those things point to it. And if we do that, I think that is a natural way of living in the world in graciousness and kindness and in a middle way of, of being a group and a people that just long to get after Jesus, that long to pursue him, that long to have their lives changed. But yet we so, time, so many times settle for so much less. Put the C.S. Lewis quote. I'll just read the end. I was going to read the bigger, longer part, but we'll just do this last part. This is the, what I've been saying. That is, for they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. He talks about poets and artists and the way that they can fall in love with the painting and not like the thing behind it that inspired the painting. You can begin to fall in love with a picture, a memory, an idea. It's got a lot to say about sexual desire and falling in love with this, like the harem in your mind, the ideas you have here, not the actual person in front of you. We're tempted to this in a million different kinds of ways. But if we pursue Jesus, 
openly, honestly, earnestly, passionately. We invite people in in the middle of that experience to come and to find him. And this really is about like knowing where we're going and what we're becoming. And it allows us to live in a type of humility and a grace that offers Jesus to a world around us. And as I said, this is, the, I think, the deep and current need of our cultural moment is to be offered this Jesus that has the answers, that has salvation, that has the goodness to bring a wanting world in. And what it means is opening up and having a humility to not push to the extremes, not push to the ideologies and to make camp there, but to say that there is a way in which we can welcome one another, learn from one another, grow from one another, and pursue Jesus together. I think that that's really the invitation of a table like this. In Mosaic, we practice what we call open communion, which is to say that anyone that would long and desire to pursue Jesus, that would see this moment and understand that Jesus is present and real here with us now in this space as we worship and as we receive the elements, you're invited to come and to pursue that life and to take hold of it and to allow it to captivate you and to allow and to know that there is joy and beauty in the world and that you've experienced it and you've tasted it and the band's going to come up and they're going to play. And as they do so, I invite you to come and to receive the bread and the cup and the elements that is God's provision to us, the son's sacrifice, the blood poured out, the body broken, and you come and you receive these elements knowing that this is the thing that we're pursuing. This is what holds us together. This is what binds us and unites us, that we are not a group of people of just common interest, that we are not a group of people that simply just like get together here and there because like we all agree on the same things. No, it's Jesus. Jesus is the thing that holds us together. Jesus is the thing that saves us. It always has been Jesus for eternity's past in the present and for eternity's future. It will always be Jesus. And so all that we do should be pushing us and pursuing and and guiding us towards that life in and through him and allowing us to become and to be shaped and formed more like him. I think that that's what part of communion is, is coming and receiving that, understanding that this is the life of Christ, the cruciform way. That it is sometimes the way in is the same way out. You have to die to be anew, to experience this. And so I invite you to come and to receive the elements of God for the people of God. Amen.